text this morning is Psalm 61. If you have a pew Bible, it's on or near page 566. Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings, Selah. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. One of the fundamental beliefs of followers of God and of most humans, and also one of the most fundamental doubts, is whether God hears us, whether he listens to us. In the poetic genre of the Psalms, this is both a statement of belief and an imploring of God to hear and to listen. Poetry doesn't consider those questions exclusive, or not questions, excuse me. Poetry doesn't consider those matters exclusive. We can both believe that God hears us and implore him to hear us in the same way that we're talking with a loved one and they're the only one in the room and nothing else is going on and magically they're not on their phone, but we're not sure they hear us. The psalmist says, hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. When my heart is faint, remember in the scriptures, this is not the seat of emotions. This is the seat of your will. The heart is your very motivation for all of life. That being said, are you aware when your heart's faint? What's it like for you? Is it easier to pray or is it harder? Oddly, for one who knows the scriptures, as well as I do, it's harder for me when my heart is faint to go to the very thing that gives it sustenance. That's why so many of the Psalms speak to their own heart. One pastor says you have two options. You can listen to your heart or you can speak to it. Psalmists choose to speak to their heart. When your heart's faint, are you tempted to power through? You shut down? You choose diversion over sustenance? Hear my cry, listen to my prayer for the end of the earth, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Do you know the past grace of God in your life? And does it inform your present requests? Do you know both his grace to you in saving you, and protecting you and growing you up, and does that then inform the way that you present your requests to him, that he protect you and comfort you and hear you today? Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Throughout the scriptures, especially those who God chose to be the vessels, uh, the writers, of the word, there is a, a sense of being tired of themselves 
and longing for God to grow up their self that is in Christ, not their self that is separate from him, what Paul would call the flesh. They're tired of themselves. I'm tired of my defensiveness. I'm tired of a growing greediness as I get older and understand finances better. I'm tired of the difference between how I interact with my family when I'm awake and caffeinated and when I'm tired. And God gives me this language, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I think the imagery that the psalmist is using is one of a flood. In a flood, God gives us a rock higher than anything we could imagine to cling to. Hear my cry and protect me. Verses 1 and 2 are about the present. Verse 3 is about the past. And then verse 4 moves into the future. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Psalmists are really comfortable asking that God tend to their past, give them provision and protection in their present, and secure their future. Most of us think about one of those things more than the other two. And the psalmists would lead us to pray about all three with honesty, boldness, clarity, and trust in the one who has indeed shown himself to be a refuge. And then it moves into a kingly expectation. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. This is both written by David, but also written that the Israelites can pray for him, which was not a selfish move. It was a, a, a move that is different than other kinds of government, because in Israel, the king was supposed to be a kind and benevolent ruler for the people, which is not what we expect when we hear about monarchies. There is a messianic flair to verse 5. The heritage that will be extended in verses 6 and 7. And then he mentions vows. Fans of New Year's resolutions? Just, just like here, who are fans of them? Not fans? No? Mostly not fans in here? One of my good friends says New Year's resolutions are like taping an orange to a tree and calling it an orange tree. I still don't quite understand what he means, but I think he's not a fan. Somebody can explain that to me later. Well, our current culture would encourage us to make vows and then to keep them mostly about ourselves. But the Christian life is about vows to God and to neighbor and to self. So those of you that are not anti-vow, consider and be gentle with yourself. Be reasonable. Let them be achievable. But start with God, and then move to perhaps neighbor, and then self. And keep an eye out for vows you didn't realize you were making. Oftentimes when we suffer, we'll realize that we had a vow or a deal with God. Keep an eye on those, would you? They're dangerous to our hearts and minds. Resentment can creep in or flood in in those times. It's hard to know them, but sometimes when we suffer, we realize we had an expectation of how our life was going to go. We couldn't have put it in a journal until we suffered. Keep an eye on those vows that we accidentally make to God and one another. 
The psalmist says, hear my cry and protect me forever. The psalmist is absolutely comfortable expecting God to show up in his past and in the present and also the future. Throughout the Psalms, we see a request for healing. That's not only for acute present-day things, but from past things. God is able and willing to heal our past. And part of that equation is us asking boldly and expectantly. Verses 6 and 7, talking more specifically about the future and about both the king in that moment and also the kingly reign of David that's promised to last forever. May he be enthroned forever before God, appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. This was both something that the Israelites uh, took for their own personal and communal use. They probably sang this together and personally for the king. And it also gave them hope and faith after they were exiled and then even returned to Israel and there was no king. Can you imagine praying for a king in a land that's supposed to have one and doesn't have one? It's one of the ways the Holy Spirit gave them hope, even in the desolation and the rebuilding process of the temple. Verse 7 is a pretty stark example of how we do and do not pray about our own political leaders. Verse 7a, may he be enthroned forever before God. Nope, not useful. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him or her. It's good. It's a good prayer for our local, regional, and national leaders. Psalmist asked to be heard and protected expects these promises and vows to last forever because that is the way God covenants as the writer worships. So will I ever sing praises to your name? Some of us do not like singing. Others, it is a a clear joy. I think that singing is more untaught than taught, meaning I think we come into the world knowing the beauty of the integration of our voice and the artistry of it and what we believe and what we celebrate, but our cynicism gets to us. And some of us don't like it as much as we used to. I say that in part because I have a toddler who sings a lot. His latest song sounds like this. When I was in college, um, I was in a fraternity, one of the odder decisions on balance that I've made in my life. It was okay though. And they made us learn the entire um, theme song to our university. And I loved singing it. I love singing hymns up here. And the spiritual songs that we often sing at the 1030 service comes up multiple times in the New Testament that we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I'm from Oklahoma. When I was in fifth grade, I was in the musical Oklahoma. I can still sing that for you, though I won't. It's good to sing about what is worth celebrating. I would encourage those of you that do not like to sing to ask the Lord to give you the joy of song because it's where our emotions and our mind and our theology meet together. And of course, the praise is for the name of God. There's power in a name. 
It involves knowledge, oftentimes of hometown or character or lineage through the very name of the person, or in this case, of God. The lineage of God is everlasting to everlasting, which challenges our imaginations but also gives rest to our hearts. The hometown of God is heaven where he sees all of history and time and all of your past and present and future. The character of God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And then again, the psalmist remembers the daily vows as I perform my vows day after day. We have daily work to do, vocationally and in our neighborhoods and houses and lives. And all of that is a way of worshiping the Lord. We do so without shame because we're forgiven. We do so without guilt because Jesus atoned for our sin. On our best days, we do so without a desire to manipulate or control the people around us because we are free and freed by the good news of Jesus. Those are our vows day after day to love God and those he's put into our lives and to do our work in light of who he is. Would you pray with me? Father, we indeed ask that you hear us. We know that you have been our refuge, and we ask that you secure our hearts and minds in you forever. We praise you for the king who is indeed enthroned forever. Ask that he return quickly, and in the meantime, enliven our praises to him and our vows before him day after day. Amen.